Good morning, good morning. Thank you so much for joining me. This is the podcast God's Holy Word. I am your lovely host Leslie Sullivan, and today is episode 46, and we are going to take a look at um some scriptures from the book of Psalm. But first of all, let me give a big shout out to my listeners because it is good to see you guys. So a big shout out to Texas, Oklahoma, Virginia, Oregon, in terms of countries, the United States, Ireland, and the Russian Federation. Okay, so we are going to be taking a look at the book of Psalm and it's going to be chapter 90. It's going to be verses 14, 16, and 17, and I will be reading from the message translation. So let's take a look at this. It says, "Surprise us with love at daybreak, then we'll skip and dance all the day long. Let your servants see what you're best at, the way you rule and bless your children, and let the loveliness of our Lord our God rest on us, confirming the work that we do. Oh yes, affirm the work that we do." The first thing that got my attention was surprise us with love at daybreak. I love that because sometimes we forget that our heavenly father loves to surprise us. And sometimes we think that the only thing we're going to get in this life is hardship, toil, labor, just not good things. That's not God's way. And we see that right here that God's, you know, God's love does not include hardship, toil, you know, being miserable. God loves to surprise us and pamper us with good things and those good things come from his love. It's what I've talked about in some previous podcasts when I said, you know, the goodness of God is renewed every single day because those are part of his promises. So whatever we need, which is on a daily basis, God will provide on a daily basis. His love is always brand new at the daybreak. So It's always refreshing whenever I get up in the morning and I think, "Wow, I'm so glad I'm alive. Lord bless me, surprise me. You'll make me smile." Because I personally know what it's like to have a lot of hardship, to not feel very good at times, you know, to lose a job, you know, to be frustrated with relationships, things like that. Basically, all the things that really bother anyone that lives in the human race, basically. Those are our daily stressors and struggles, right? Well, our Lord can help us with those things, and he wants to bless us every single day of our life. And it always starts when we wake up at daybreak. It goes on to say, "Then we'll skip and dance all the day long." I don't know if you have ever seen children on a playground. I mean, I don't have children yet, so I don't know if they are even allowed to play anymore or play on playgrounds because in the United States everybody is so super sensitive and stuff, but To see children skip and play, you know, there's just something sweet and innocent about them. Like they just love to be outside. They are enjoying their life. It's like they don't have any they don't have any troubles whatsoever. That's how we are supposed to be as the children of God. We are supposed to be skipping and dancing. Now that doesn't mean that we skip and dance all the way to our desk and cause a scene at our place of employment. I'm not talking about that. If that's what you do naturally then I guess it's okay with you and your employer but I'm saying that God wants us to be happy. It's very easy to be to be miserable. It's very easy to not focus on the goodness of God. But we need to look at, at from a point of view that it should be easy to focus on the goodness of God because God wants our life to be easy. One of the problems is that we believe what the enemy says. You know, we we believe him stupidly. 
When he says, "Oh, God doesn't love you, doesn't want you to have that house, he doesn't want you to have that car, he wants you to suffer from your disease." You know, and the devil will even use religion against us. He'll say, "Well, you know, you know, your your priest or your preacher or whatever said that you should just unite your suffering with Christ." What that means is is that, you know, we're just supposed to accept it and roll over and just be okay with pain and sickness and disease. That goes direct opposite of God's holy word. We are not supposed to unite our suffering with Christ. He has already overcome our sickness and diseases. So why are we just taking on these burdens, these pains, these diseases and just going, "Oh, well, the Lord must want to teach me something." That is a load of of horse manure. And I'm trying to use pleasant words here because this is a spiritual podcast. Here's the thing. How can you skip and dance and be happy about your life? If at the same time you're going, "Oh, the Lord's trying to teach me something, so I'm not supposed to be happy." We need to follow what God says to do. We need to focus on his holy word, and his holy word says that we should be skipping and dancing all the day long. And this is referring specifically in our heart and in our soul. We should know for a fact and believe that God is good and that he loves us. That's why, you know, having a merry heart is like medicine for the bones. It renews you, it restores you. But misery will cripple you, literally. It will destroy you. So don't go with misery. Go with the goodness of God. Goes on to say, let your servant see what you're best at. You know, there are some people that they think that God doesn't love them, which is very unfortunate because that's not true. But because they think that God doesn't love them, that they're never going to see the goodness of God. I think we need to start lifting up prayers where we say, "God, surprise me today. Let me see your best. Let me let me see what you want to see. I want to unite my thinking with you, not my pain with you, but my joy, my thankfulness, my gratitude." See the pain and suffering that price has already been paid. So stop living in it. That may sound simple, but it is simple. Focus on the good, not the bad. Focus on the surprises and the love and the mercy of God. It says, "Let your servants see what you're best at. The ways you rule and bless your children." That tells me right there that we are supposed to have a very clear understanding that it is God and God alone that we serve. We have God the Father, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. We're not supposed to be serving people. We're supposed to be serving God. Like we are supposed to be ruled by God and God alone. Now that doesn't mean that if you live in a country and you have a king or a queen that you shouldn't be respectful. And that doesn't mean that, you know, let's say for example, you live in the United States, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't have a president of the United States. I'm not saying that or that you can't have a governor or or that you can't have a senator or a congressman. We should have governments. We should have rulers and leaders and we should pray for them that they believe in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit because when they do not have faith in God, that's when they become dictators. For example, Stalin, Mussolini, I think Putin, I would say, is definitely a dictator now these days. I think he was always a little mini dictator because he's ex-KGB. So why his people elected him 
or allow him to be their leader makes no sense to me because there are some very religious russians but however the russian church i think it's the russian orthodox church it's very similar to catholicism so being that it's very similar to catholicism i can see why they they are not quick to identify when something's not right because when something's not right because of their religion they think oh well i should just unite this with with christ instead of reporting it instead of praying about it, instead of you know not tolerating hardship not tolerating death and disease you know what i mean like we're not supposed to be doormats you know as christian believers and you know it doesn't matter what faith you are in terms of christianity what church you go to cuz there are good people in every faith and every faith walk some are really misguided but i think there are good people in every church but we need to be christ like and when we are christ like we know that we are supposed to follow the 10 commandments that's what it means the ways you rule and bless your children what that means is that we are supposed to acknowledge that we worship the one true god god the father god the son god the holy spirit and we honor him and we respect his laws and his rules and then that's where the blessing comes in see if you don't believe in god and if you don't honor him then you're not going to be blessed because those things go hand in hand you know it's very similar to in the old testament whenever the israelites you know they were told you have a choice you can either choose blessing or cursing choose the blessing do not choose curses God gave them a choice. The way that they are blessed is to honor and follow his laws, his 10 commandments, and to worship him. To follow the curse leads to death, disease, and destruction. God always calls us to his family to be blessed. It is never to punish us. So if someone is telling you, especially a spiritual leader, if they are telling you that oh God's trying to teach you a lesson, That is a lie straight out of the depths of hell. God does not rule his children by being cruel and evil to them. That's what the enemy does. That's why we are that's why we're not supposed to follow the ways of the world. It's because it's not the way of God. You know, we are in this world for a reason. We are supposed to let our light shine. But if we are not following God's holy holy ways, then we are not letting our light shine. If anything, we are letting the devil snuff out our candle, which is not right. We should never do that. It goes on to say, and let the loveliness, excuse me, and let the loveliness of our Lord our God rest on us, confirming the work that we do. So it says, and let the loveliness of our Lord our God rest on us. You know, When we love God and we believe in God, we're not supposed to feel burdened. This is why Jesus says, "Cast your cares. Take my yoke upon you, and you will find rest." See all the pain and the suffering and the hardship has already been taken care of by our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it means when he says take my yoke because his burden is light. Why? Because he's taken on all of our burdens. You know, it's like when you go to the gym and let's say you're bench pressing 
And let's say, for example, the weight of the world is really bearing down on you. And let's say you've got, you know, lack of a job, your car doesn't work, you know, you've been diagnosed with something. Let's say, let's just equate that to how much that would weigh. Let's say that weighs like 350 pounds. You're on your back. You're trying to bench press that, right? Well, what the Lord does, he's, he's like the spotter in the gym. He's going to spot you. He's going to make sure that barbell doesn't land on your neck, right? And that, or, or on your chest. So... What he'll do is he will help lift that bar off of you. And then he will also remove the weights from the bar to make your life easier. So yes, we do have hardships. That doesn't mean that God takes away the bar completely, although sometimes he does do that. He did that for the Israelites, he can do that for us, and he does that for us every single day. There are different ways that the Lord helps us. There are times that He picks up all of that weight off of us. There are other times he removes the weights as we're going along in life and other times he removes all the weight and we're just bench pressing this this flimsy little bar. It's like, "Hey, I can do this. I can do this. I've been through this challenge before. I know what to do now." See, God knows what our muscles can take and what they can't take. It's the same thing in our spiritual faith walk with Christ. So being that God loves us and he wants his loveliness to rest on us, that means he doesn't want the burdens of the world or the enemy to be on our back or on our chest or on our neck like a millstone. That's why we are supposed to go to the Lord every day in prayer, and I mean every day. Don't wait. Don't wait. You know, there are sometimes I'm praying in the shower. There's sometimes I'm praying while I'm, you know, you know, cooking breakfast. I may not be saying it out loud, but I'm speaking to God in my heart and in my soul. And oftentimes I'm praying while I'm walking. I love that. Because to me, I am literally walking with Christ. It's such a beautiful thing to do. So don't ever throw away your time with the Lord, and it doesn't have to be hours upon hours upon hours in a bunker like I've said before that's not what we're called to do if if you are doing that you're just isolating yourself from the world and God gave us this world we are supposed to be good stewards of this world well you can't be a good steward of what God has given you if you're running from it and if you're not taking ownership of it God is very clear that you know we are his children and this world belongs to us and we have a responsibility to do the good works of Jesus Christ all the days of our life that doesn't mean be a browbeating bible thumper crazy nutbag missionary or something it means that you are following Christ all the days of your life now if you actually want to be a missionary god bless you that's wonderful If you think that that is what God is calling you to do, pray about it, go do it. What I'm talking about is whenever people take hold of religion and they make it extreme. They make it unpredictable, they make it hateful, they they make it a burden. Well, as we know from times past, that's exactly what the Pharisees and the Sadducees did. They made religion so complicated And such a burden that no one could ever do anything right. 
How frustrating would that be? You know, that would be like if you're dating somebody and the person you're dating, all they ever do is complain about you. Oh, you don't do anything right. It's just like, well, why am I dating you then? If you don't like anything I do, then, you know, I'm going to find someone that does like what I do. And, you know, dump that person. Move on to somebody else. Move on to somebody that, that is actually in love with you. Or that at least wants to fall in love with you and get to know you. I mean, don't be miserable in your relationships. My goodness, that'd be horrible. So it goes on to say, and let the loveliness of our Lord, our God, rest on us, confirming the work that we do. It did not dawn on me, I'm trying to think when this dawned on me, but it was not that long ago, like within the past five years or so, maybe less than that, that I don't work for an employer, I work for God. Even though I have a boss, have a job, you know, earn a living, all those good things, I'm not beholden to them. I show up, I do a good job, I do good work, you know, they pay me, their check clears the bank. That's wonderful. But what really warms my heart was when I woke up to the fact that even though I may work for a person or a company, you know, whatever the case may be, technically my boss is God because I am a I am a believer in Christ Jesus. And God will help me get the right job. You know, God helps me with my projects. You know, if ever I have a boss or a coworker that's being a jerk, I pray for them. I used to get so upset about bad bosses and bad employees because it was some of the stuff I've gone through has been really bad over the years. But when I realized that God can help me with those bad people, because to be honest, I felt helpless. I felt helpless at one of my jobs in times past because I gave those those people too much power over me. In fact, I should not have given them any power over me. None whatsoever. because when i put god first everything else falls into place well this is very relevant because it says right here the loveliness of our lord our god rests on us confirming the work that we do see when you know who loves you and you know that it's god he loves the work that you do even if someone talks trash about you god still loves you god loves your work so don't worry about it I can't tell you how many times I've worked with people that that have tried to steal my good ideas and they interfere with my work and then they claim to I hate this phrase I was just trying to help. No you weren't. See cuz when people try and help they actually help they don't interfere. It it just drove me nuts those kind of people. because I know those people technically are miserable and they're not focusing on their job even though that is their problem not mine it still interfered with my work but what brought me comfort was knowing that hey God's my boss he'll deal with that employee cuz I can't tell you how many times bosses do not get rid of the bad employee they they don't do it especially here in the United States What they do end up doing is they they get rid of the 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 employee that complained that says hey or reported something. They tend to get rid of the person that's speaking up for what's right because they don't want to hear about the bad employee. 
I mean, we can make up all these excuses of, oh, they don't want to be sued, they don't want to be liable. Well, guess what? You are suable and you are liable, especially if you don't do what's right. And that's at a state and federal level. So if you are an employer listening to this and you're not doing the right thing, please start doing the right thing. Your employees that actually care to do what's right and actually care about you will greatly appreciate what, what you're doing when you do the right thing. But, you know, let's be blunt. Let's be obvious. People don't appreciate when other people don't do the right thing. And what sucks in those situations is that sometimes the employer or the boss will come back and say, gosh, you just don't appreciate what I do. You're ungrateful. They throw it back in the employee's face that they complained about something or reported something, something that needed to be said. And the reason why they try and throw it back in the person's face is because that manager doesn't want to admit they've made a mistake and they have been making a mistake for a long time. So the easiest thing to do is to bully, harass and mistreat the very person that was trying to help them. That was trying to help the company. See, that's why you don't put your boss, your company or employees in power over you. Yes, you work for your employer and yes, you do a good job, you do your best, be positive. but they do not own you. They do not determine your destiny or your fate or your income. It's our heavenly father. That's why it says confirming the work that we do. So even if we are not working in ministry, even if we are not a preacher, a pastor, evangelist, missionary, whatever the case may be, all of our work is blessed by God. Recognize when God wants to bless you. Because all of the work that we do, the work of our hands, the fruit of our labor, is very important to God. In fact, our jobs that we do are more important to Him than to our employer and to our boss. Because God loves us. He cares for us. I mean, we were created in His image. We were not created in the image of our employer. How horrible would that be? I'm thankful that God loves me. I'm so thankful that I was created in his image and nobody else's image. Because I know that because my heavenly Father loves me and I was created in his image, he loves me unconditionally and he always has my back and he will never set me up for failure. Never. That's why he confirms the work that we do and it says, "Oh yes, affirm the work that we do." See if God before you, who dare be against you? If God before you who dare be against you. We need not worry about these naysayers, these negative nancies, these bitter bitty, uh, bitter betties as they say. And I've worked with a lot of people over the years, a lot of people. I I've, I've met so many people over the years. Good and bad, you know, the good, the bad, the ugly, so to speak. Excellent Clint Eastwood movie by the way. I just wish I'd known that that I could have gone to God with my work problems years ago. But you see, I didn't know that God wanted to be involved in every area of my life. I I was raised that I was supposed to pick myself up by my bootstraps. Because that's kind of the American way, that's the American culture. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't suck it up and do the right thing. That doesn't mean that that we can't handle stuff, but I'm just saying that 
you know, when God is for you and with you in every area of your life, then every area of your life should be blessed and will be blessed when you go to him with every area of your life. See, that's what it means whenever you give your life to Christ and you ask Jesus to come into your heart. Jesus doesn't just come into one area of your life. He wants to be a part of every area of your life because he wants you to be blessed in every way imaginable because those blessings come from his heavenly father. So if you haven't given your life to Christ, you need to do so. Cuz you have nothing to lose and everything to gain and the only thing you will lose is dread, misery, and uncertainty. I mean, who needs those? Nobody. The devil will convince us that that is a normal way of life. To feel anxious, to feel worried, to have dread, fear, all those things. That's actually not normal for us. It's not normal for the Christian believer. It's not normal for the human body. You know, there is this scientist that I watched. I love what's it called? The Great Courses. They've been around a long time. And I they, what they do is they hire different professors to record videos and uh, I don't know if it's podcasts, but videos and webinars about what they study. And they present it almost like a class course. You know, you're paying for the material, but you don't have to attend the college that they teach at in order to be a part of the lecture, so to speak. So there's this one guy, I think he's a he's a scientist and he studied something to do with the brain. I don't think he's an MD per se, but he had a really good point. It was about stress and the brain. And he said, he asked, "Why is it that zebras don't die or zebras are not stressed? Why do they why do they not die from heart attacks like we do?" And he explained it that, you know, zebras they are not in fight or flight all the time. It's only when a lion or a predator is after them that they are in fight or flight. And his point was that a lot of people they are they never allow their body or their mind to rest. Because if zebras had the lifestyle that a lot of Americans have, there would be so many zebras just croaking from heart attacks out in the field like crazy, like hardly any of them would be alive. Cuz he was making a point of the hormones that are released into our bloodstream continuously when we are continuously stressed out, what it does to our brain, our psychological health, our mental health, our heart, our lungs, our capillaries, our veins, our blood vessels, all of it. His point was we were not made to live stressed lives. We were made to be able to handle stress but only on a temporary basis, meaning temporary fight or flight. You he was looking at it from a zoology kind of phys, uh, physiology kind of way. And I thought it was a perfect analogy because it's technically true what he was saying. Now mind you, I don't always agree with every little thing a scientist says, but this guy was really good. 
And if I can find his name, I will uh, follow up with you guys on that on another podcast. But his lecture was so good. And I just bought I bought the lecture, I bought the DVDs and the webinar um to learn more about because I thought that's really interesting. about stress, the human body and the brain. And why is it that zebras that, you know, are pretty much can, can be hunted all day every day, why is it they never just pat they never die of a sudden heart attack? They never they don't do that. I'm not saying they never do, but I'm saying like not the rate of like what human beings are. And the reason is they don't live in a revolving door of misery. Once the chase is over, you know, once they have outrun their predator, they go back to grazing on grass. You know, it's the same thing in our life, but I want to take it one step further and I'll close with this. Our heavenly Father knows we're going to have stress in this life. And and he built us, he built our bodies to to be able to withstand fight or flight. But we were never made to continuously live in that, you know, every day all day. And that's what a lot of the stress and anxiety in our world, especially in the American culture, it's very stressful living here. Hands down, we are very successful at being stressful people. Very stressful. But that actually is not what God wants for us, and that's actually living outside of the goodness of God. God gave us the fight or flight ability in order to stay alive and also to stay within his word. Fight or flight is not supposed to be used to live a a constant life of stress because a constant life of stress first of all can kill us and if it doesn't kill us it will continuously pull us away from the goodness of God and God promises us health, peace, prosperity, happiness, joy, mercy, grace. It's very difficult to experience those things if you're constantly in fight or flight. That's why our heavenly father wants us to go to him with everything so that he can lift that heavy weight off of our chest like in a weight room. We were not made to continuously press 350 pounds. We were not made for that. At some point we have to rest. The problem with a lot of Christians is we are not resting. It says right here and let the loveliness of our Lord our God rest on us. That word rest is very important. You know, have you ever noticed that whenever someone goes on vacation they come back they're almost always refreshed. They're happier. Maybe they have a glow about their skin. I mean, they're just just relaxed. They're happy. And typically their work improves. Why? Because they got to rest. That's what this is talking about in this verse. When it's talking about and let the loveliness of our Lord our God rest on us. It's not supposed to be a burden on us. So if someone is preaching and teaching to you or telling you that oh god doesn't care about that he doesn't care about you or he wants you to suffer that's a burden we do not worship a god of burdens we worship a god of rest he wants us to live the best life 
He knows that if we are constantly stressed, we are not even going to come close to living the best life. So we might as well give God a chance to give us rest, to give us peace, to give us joy, to give us mercy, to give it to give us all these things that he has already promised us. See, these are promises that go back to the beginning of time. These promises go back to the beginning of God's holy word. So what's the point in missing out on that? There there is no point. We shouldn't be missing out on it. We should be participating in it every day of our life. Let me close with the next verse cuz we were looking at Genesis chapter 1 and I'd mentioned that you know if you don't read the Bible throughout the year that's okay just read a verse a day. So I think it'd be Genesis chapter 1 verse 5. Let's see. Oh no, it might be chat. Well, let's do 4 and 5. Kind of mix them up. So it says, "And God saw the light that it was good." And God divided the light from the darkness. This is very beautiful because whatever God makes is good. Don't ever underestimate that you are good because you are good. All of us were made in the image of Almighty God, so that means that God loves us and that we are his creation and that he calls us good. Verse 5 says, "And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day." I love this verse because I think we forget that God knows how to speak. He knows language. He's technically the author of our human mind. He he's the author of everything in this world. He's the author of every language on the planet. I love that it says, "And God God called the light day and the darkness he called night. What is God calling you? What is God calling you? And if you don't know what God calls you or maybe you want to know, ask him. Lord, what is my name? Even if you were given a name at birth, that may not be the name that God calls you. I've met people over the years that they couldn't stand the name they were given at birth and they wanted to change their name and some of them did change their name and guess what their lives greatly improved because they changed their name. There's some people that they don't know how to name children and they give the wrong name to their babies. And I think the biggest problem is they don't take it up with God first. What should I name this little one? What should I name this baby? It's so beautiful, Lord. And I encourage you, if you don't like your name, change it and take it up with God. Lord, what would be a good name for me? And then you can legally get a name change. It's not that hard to do. Um what you can do is you can reach out to legalzoom.com and they can provide you with all the paperwork and they can set it up for you and then I think you take your paperwork to the court clerk's office and I think you have to get um you have to get something notarized one of those papers and so you go to a notary and most banks have a notary and then you take that back to the court clerk and then they they assign you a court date and then you have to publish what you're changing your name to or that you're going to court for a name change you have to put that in the paper for like 30 days or something like before your court date 
and this is part of the law um, in the United States. You have to do this. And so then, you know, when your court date arrives, you show up, you know, and the judge grants you yay or nay. Most of the time, it's yay. Most of the time, it's yes. They will give you a access to a name change, and also you pick your name and you put the the name that you want in, in your legal document that you file with the court clerk. See, God cares what He calls things. If God was concerned about what He calls, you know, the day when sunlight is out, and then at nighttime, like if He's that concerned about night and day, what makes you think He doesn't care even more about you and what you are called? He cares very much. And you know, let's say, for example, you're you're in the United States, you're from another country, and people can't hardly pronounce your name. It gets in the way of your job. It bothers you. Change your name to a name that you really like. There's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that at all. I would take it up with God first and ask Him, what name should I be called? Because the name I have is not what I like. It's not what I want. That's okay. God will help you with that. If He cares enough to create this world, and we are His creation, then He cares just as much about your request. He cares very much. Give God a chance to surprise you. At the beginning of this chapter, or this verse, excuse me. Of Psalm chapter ninety, it says, "Surprise us with love at daybreak. Surprise us. You just might be surprised how much God loves you. Because there's so much negativity in our world. Sometimes there's so much negativity in our churches, and I don't get it because churches are where people are supposed to go to to hear God's word, to be saved, to be healed and restored." They are not supposed to be for shaming and blaming, and they are not supposed to be for manipulating God's holy word because that's not right to do that. It just—it doesn't make sense to me whenever someone they, they will believe a blatant lie about God or about Jesus, but they won't believe the truth that's right there in front of them in the Bible. See, the reason for that typically is because they have been convinced of the of the lie of being unworthy. You are worthy. You are worthy of God's love. You are worthy to be saved. You are worthy to be healed. You are worthy to be prosperous, to be blessed. You are worthy of all these things because these are the promises of God. These promises go back, you know, to Genesis. I mean, they go back to um, Abraham because these are the, the promises of Abraham. That God gave to Abraham, and that's a covenant, and that's a covenant that God cannot break. First of all, He can't break it, and more importantly, He doesn't want to break it. So we need to participate in God's promises. We need to participate in God's covenants, because those will protect us from these stressful, horrible situations in life. And then when we are protected, we can pretty much bench press any situation whatsoever because it's not us bench pressing it; it's Jesus Christ. 
who bore everything, not just our sins, but everything on the cross at Calvary. Don't throw away your lifeline. Don't throw away God's love for you. Because God's love for you is what will save you. I will go ahead and end this podcast, but until next time I pray that you're happy, healthy and whole, that you have a wonderful day and a wonderful week. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. So it's on